This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. When you look back on 2020, it's hard to imagine how we crammed in all the news in a year dominated by coronavirus. It's easy to lose sight of the other big themes and the smaller detail. On this morning's programme, we're examining what really made this year tick and looking ahead to 2021 and what we can expect from a new decade. So I'm joined by some of our top commentators, Simon French, Chief Economist at Panmure Gordon, Economist Francis Coppola and Craig Olam, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. So Simon, Francis and Craig, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Let's talk about um, 2021. Do we think, Simon, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines waiting to come in? Are consumers not having spent anything? Are they going to treat us to a recovery, do you think? So I think it's certainly the case that at an aggregate level, UK householders have saved um, a significant amount of money uh, during 2020. Uh, the savings rate in the second quarter was 28%. Long-term average is 6-7%. So there is a war chest there at an aggregate level. But two, two caveats. The first is that it's quite asymmetrically distributed. So high-income, middle-income households who've remained in employment uh, have been able to save large amounts of money. But those who've been furloughed, those who've lost their jobs, um, have struggled and have had to draw down on their savings. So we're going to see a very unequal both crisis and recovery. Mm. And the second thing we don't know is the degree to which um, the jobs that are being protected by furlough, and we think going into the end of 2020, there's around four to five million people still on furlough. How many of those jobs are economically viable as the economy reopens, the vaccine gets rolled out and social distancing comes to an end? If those, if there are large numbers of jobs, talking potentially a million plus jobs that are not economically viable, it will take time for those people to find new jobs in the economy, for the supply side to rotate, to support the new patterns of demand. If that happens, that surge in consumer spending, I think, will be paired back with some caution. So, Francis, that caution then, slightly tempered by the fact the relative good news about a vaccine, but that still has to be distributed and so on, doesn't it? The logistics are huge. Yes. I mean, if anybody thought this vaccine was going to be a silver bullet, they're very much mistaken. It's going to take a long time to roll out this vaccine. They're doing it in a sensible way. They're vaccinating the most high-risk people first and their carers. Um, so hopefully the effects of it will kind of move out rather faster than they would if they'd vaccinated the least-risk people first. But it is going to take really, I think, most of 2021 to um, really see the benefits of the vaccine in terms of economic um, increased economic activity, people coming out of their houses, beginning to in interact again and beginning to spend again. Mm. And I, so I think the economic recovery will take a while. Craig, Craig given, given the uncertainty of what sort of jobs people will actually be able to go back to if indeed they, they do exist, what's your feeling about 2021 and unemployment in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they've summed it up quite well, to be honest, uh, Francis and Simon. I think the, the, the economic outlook, it is going to be uncertain at many times. Uh, it is going to be uneven, and I think that's a really key uh, point. I think the one benefit that the recovery does has is the sheer amount of uh, stimulus that we have seen 
uh, handed out over the course of the last nine months and continuing at least over the next few months will give it advantages over, for example, the last crisis that we were recovering from. I don't think we're going to see the same level of austerity or anything like it, which really held back the recovery in many aspects. Uh, and therefore, I do think we are going to be better positioned to uh, a certain extent than we have been previously. But there is going to be challenges. Uh, I think the only hope now is that, as Francis just said, by, 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 by providing the vaccine for the most vulnerable people in society, hopefully in the next two or three months, that should start to ease up the pressure on the NHS and should mean that while we will continue to socially distance, wear masks, etc., for the foreseeable future, it means that we may not face the same levels of restrictions uh, that we've been forced to endure over the course of the last nine months. The risk for me is actually the next two months, really, because we're already seeing the surges that we're seeing around the globe. Uh, and now we're going into the festive period. You think January and February could be extremely tough. But beyond that, I'm starting to feel a little bit more uh, optimistic because as long as the restrictions are dropped uh, and people continue to uh, observe certain social distancing etc then I do think there can be something of a recovery but I think the government still has a lot to do going into the second quarter and even the third quarter to ensure that the recovery is very strong and we can bring that unemployment rate down much faster. Can we go big globally? We talked yesterday a little about China and so on. Simon, has the balance of power shifted at all in the world, do you think, uh, bearing in mind that we don't really know what Joe Biden's attitude towards China is going to be? I think the US approach to China is um, supersedes any particular president, any particular Congress. This is likely to be an economic Cold War that we would hope will not go hot at any point over the coming decades. But the idea for investors that they can tick off China-US tensions as a risk on their risk register at any point over the next, um, you know, for you know, any reasonable investment horizon is, is just folly. Um, the overall um, uh, game here is to ensure that um, these big three economic poles of China, of Europe, of the United States cooperate on the big issues. And we think of um, global terrorism, climate change, tax avoidance, some of those big things that require countries to work together. The best hope is that the political leaders can find a common path that is agreeable to all sides rather than coming into tension at regular intervals. You, you with that, Francis, uh, there's thoughts along your lines, do you think? Yeah, I broadly agree with that. I mean, I would say that the the polarity, if we could call it that, is shifting east and has been for some time. I mean, this isn't a pandemic effect. You know, we're just going to, you know, <laughs> as we emerge from this ghastly pandemic, um, we're simply going to revert back to what was happening anyway, which was this gradual shift of, of economic, um, I'm not sure how to put it, um, supremacy. I suppose, to the East. But that's not to say that you write off the USA or Europe, you know, yesterday, um, it's just simply that, you know, we've got a whole new world out there which has entered the global economic realm, really, in its own right as a major power in the last 20 years. And we're still coming to terms with that. Um, it's all good, really. Craig, you would agree with that, presumably, would you? That's the way you see the balance of the world shifting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they've summed it up quite well there. Uh, and with regards to the US approach to China, 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's going to be a less any less scepticism, uh, and I don't think the view is necessarily going to change. I think it's just the approach that's going to be slightly different. So I think we're going to see less unilateralism. I think Joe Biden is going to want to uh, work more with the, his European partners, etc., to try and take on China rather than t- resorting to tariffs uh, and going it alone. And therefore, it may seem on the face of it like he's doing less, but it just means that anything that they do uh, as a combined may just be that little bit more effective and it may just make fewer headlines but I, I just i don't feel like a president of the u.s at this moment in time can afford to not take a, a, a stricter approach with regards to china for a number of different reasons that have already been covered um simon interest rates relatively low as for the foreseeable do you think yes and no complete threat of, of, of inflation. And if indeed there were, I would suggest that could be quite damaging. Yes, sorry, for the avoidance of doubt, what I mean by a very blunt answer is it's important that people who are at home today thinking about the interest rates that they face on their, on their debt and potentially on their savings is not going to shift. And the fact that that isn't going to shift is an important part of central banks' toolkit. We've heard more and more in recent years about forward guidance, allowing when the, eco- when the economy slow, central bankers around the world, not just Andrew Bailey in the UK, but all over the world, saying you can expect those interest rates to remain low for a considerable period of time and therefore have some confidence that you're not going to get stung in terms of making medium-term investment consumption decisions. And that's why sometimes a really blunt one-word answer helps reinforce the very message that central bankers obviously often use thousands of words and actually dilute the message rather than give a clear message. You agree with that, Francis? Broadly, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've said before, I think, that I, I think there is a, a not inconsiderable risk that there might be some inflation um, because I think that spending might recover before the supply side does. And so we could end, and also we've got sort of large amounts of government spending and central bank money floating around that needs somewhere to go. So we could have some inflation. The question is what central banks do about that if it emerges. I think it's likely that they'll treat it as a, actually, this is rather a good thing. We're going to look through it. That's the signal from the Fed about allowing inflation to overshoot. And therefore, I concur with Simon that the message from the central banks is even if we have a resurgence of some inflation, they will still keep interest rates down. Okay, that's the cost of money. Craig, I want to talk about the cost of energy with you. Um, we've, we've seen the oil price up and down, obviously, all year. We've had green promises and so on. A, have we reached peak oil? And B, is green actually, is it getting any traction? Is it, has, it re- has it got its escape velocity? Well, I think public support uh, for green energy is probably at the highest that uh, that we've ever seen. Um, and whether that continue, I, I do think that will continue ultimately. Uh, whether we've, we, we've reached peak oil or not, um, it, it's difficult. I think we're there or thereabouts. Whether we, we're actually at peak, I think is difficult to say at this point. But I do think there is significant momentum in terms of moving towards greener alternatives. Uh, and I do think that is likely to continue uh, over the course of the next next decade or so we're already seeing obviously targets being set and quite ambitious targets uh, at that with regards to uh, diesel but also petrol fuel uh, as well for example so i do think the momentum is very much there but that doesn't mean that we can't see oil prices back at 70 80 dollars a barrel uh, it, it certainly doesn't mean that we won't see um 100 million 
uh, barrels a day uh, at some point in the in the not too distant future as well. Uh, it is going to be a transitional period, uh, and I think there's a lot of a lot of work that needs to be done in order to turn that growing public support for greener energy into something that's feasible and affordable. Uh, and that's just simply going to take time. It's still only 2020. A lot of these targets are 2030. So for that reason, I think peak oil. The, we're probably, like I say, we're there or thereabouts, but I still think there's potential that we could uh, go a little bit higher. So we're going to go it alone, whatever the detail of the of the trade talks and our exit from from Europe um, actually transpires. Maybe it won't be it won't finish as quite as cleanly as people think. Who knows? Anyway, Simon, what are your biggest worries for 2021? So managing a recovery uh, where consumer demand is likely to be strong in pockets where people have the resources but also there will be some people who've had a very difficult pandemic and will need support to rotate into new jobs where their jobs are just not economically viable for me it is that risk that that uh, you know fuels what has been um, discontent with our political system not just in the UK but uh, but around the world it, i think there's a real onus on policymakers to make the recovery equitable and fair and recognising that uh, no, whatever anybody's anecdotal experience of lockdown and the pandemic, it is unlikely to be reflective of large swathes of the population who've had very, very different experiences. And, and, and policymakers have to try and tread that line of you know, using public policy to support those who've suffered most. Francis, do the UK's mercantile and also entrepreneurial instincts make you feel confident about going it alone effectively? <laughs> um, not terribly in the short term, I have to say, because, you know, you have to bear in mind that, that we are in an extremely deep global recession. So we are um, leaving the European Union in a way at the worst possible time for going it alone. Um, so I think we're going to have quite a rocky time in, in the short term, um, just because of that. And never mind whether going it alone was a good idea or not. It's simply that the timing of it is, is really quite bad. And I think there's also quite a bit of evidence, that, again, because of pandemic effects, because business have been diverted to trying to keep going during during this extraordinary, uh, you know, this extraordinary year. And also because of changes in working patterns and things like that and uncertainty over even what the rules will be. Um, I think that it's very difficult for businesses to prepare for going it alone and that's also going to create lots of difficulties and tensions at least in the short term in the longer term it's kind of difficult to say i mean it, we we live in a very fluid world that's changing very fast we've got this shift in polarity from west to east we've got um you know the european union saying what is what is my role there's tensions within america i think we are seeing uh, maybe some some moves towards fragmentation of big blocks as well which is interesting so it may be that you know um where we end up in two three four five years time will be not disastrous at all but simply just not what we expected Craig Ellum, will the City of London as we know it survive? Will we still be a leading financial centre? Uh, yes, I think we will. Um, uh, and I think 
I think we're, we're, we I think the most important thing now is for the UK and the rest of the EU to kind of rebuild a relationship. I think a deal is ultimately extremely important. Um, but I think uh, I think the UK financial system, the UK financial district, is still a, a, a pivotal cog uh, in the machine uh, of Europe. And while we may not be part of the European Union, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be extremely close allies. I think it's really important, and it's something that I think we've all probably really struggled to do over the course of the last four and a half years. But it's really important that we've got to ignore a lot of the noise that happens around Brexit. And uh, I think we've got to remember that a lot of the reasons for that is because we've been in the midst of a negotiation. It's been an extremely hostile environment, more more publicly as well, because of the divisiveness of the vote and how everything has materialised over the last four and a half years. But if you strip out the noise, it's... It, if we can get a deal over the line now, which I'm, I'm I'm very confident we'll do, and hopefully haven't been proven wrong by the time this actually goes out, um, I, I think I think I, I do think that we can start to work forward, and I do think the UK financial system, the UK financial sector, will remain a, an important part uh, of this uh, of this partnership. Simon French, Francis Coppola, and Craig Olam, thank you very much indeed. the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.